Did you know that right now there's a group of people running the business of their dreams? They are respected leaders in their field, working with clients they love and serving them profitably. Now, are they famous? Depends on who you ask. They're not signing autographs at the grocery store or taking selfies every five minutes. They're not trying to be everywhere on social media. Yet when they show up at trade events and conferences, they are recognized and sought after. They're the ones everyone else looks up to. They're the next generation of thought leaders in their space. So what's their secret? Well, they've become famously influential to the right people, and so can you. Today, we'll dig into the story of one of these leaders and deconstruct how they became micro-famous. You won't just come away inspired, you'll come away with a new strategy and a new way of thinking. So while your competition is scattered, chaotic, and chasing every shiny object, you can move forward with confidence and clarity. I'm your host, Matt Johnson, agency founder and author of Microfamous. And if you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, let's get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. I've got a super fun, fast-paced conversation with a fellow podcaster today, and we're talking about how to find that crack in the market. What is that niche audience that is not being served, and how do you develop a podcast that, like a laser, seeks out those underserved audiences, delivers exactly the show they're looking for, and produces a show that grows really, really quickly. So my guest today is Reese Waters. He's the co-founder and producer at a company called Podstarter, which helps brands and companies reach more people through podcasting. He's also the host and, and producer of a show called Canadian Politics is Boring, which has already hit top 10 in Canada in the humor categories and comedy uh, category. Um, and it's only been around for just a few months and it's getting tens of thousands of downloads every single month. So he's got a lot to say. It was a really, really fun conversation because we delved into all things podcast strategy, including what do you do when you have an audience that skews a little bit older than traditional podcast fans? So maybe they're not super comfortable with the technology, you know, just some things about where we see podcasts going uh, in terms of, you know, moving away from the interview format in the business world and all kinds of fun things like that. So if you are interested in podcasting or you're already hosting one and you want your show to grow faster and you want to find the right audience as quickly as possible and deliver a show that grows, this is the episode for you. So without further ado, Here's the conversation with Reese. Reese, officially welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I am super pumped for you to be here because we've got two podcasters. We do similar things, but uh, for different types of folks. And uh, and you also have delved way more into the world of comedy podcasting than I have. I I dabble like I like to be one of the one of the ones that are running a business podcast where nobody expects it to be funny and they're pleasantly surprised when they show up. <laughs> you're going hardcore and telling people in advance you're going to be funny, which I feel like is way harder. It's terrifying because the ex you already set that expectation. You you yes. like is yours to lose is yours to you know, you're setting yourself up for failure in so many circumstances <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah i feel like it's way harder to get a laugh at an open mic at a comedy club than it is at a business conference like you can drop <laughs> the worst joke of all time to open up a keynote and you'll at least get some you know uncomfortable laughs and claps but if you're in a comedy club they will just either kill you or they will absolute silence um, it's a lot. It's a lot easier to be the funniest guy at the accounting conference than it is the funniest guy at a comedy festival. That's for certain. Yes, so. exactly. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so take me back. This is. I think we got into podcasting around the same time, 2015, 16-ish. Yeah, yeah. When you started that one. So, tell me what got you into that, and we'll talk a little bit about the strategy. Well, I was kind of like working in comedy, um, producing com like as an independent producer um, with a production company, just making. Um, 
kind of improvised comedy, comedy that overlapped into documentary. And uh, I was starting to do more radio and I really loved the radio um, element of comedy because, you know, the, when you're working in a purely uh, audio-driven format like podcasting or radio, you can have a, a, a velociraptor chase you down a, down a corridor. But if you've got a small budget for a TV show, is is going to look terrible. (laughs) I love the fact there was like no creative limits. So um, uh, I started to do radio comedy and uh, podcasts, you know, we're we're starting to really break through in 2015. I mean, I know they've come so far since then. Um, And the radio show kind of went out as a BBC comedy podcast as well as a BBC radio show. And nobody listened to it on the radio. We didn't, the radio figures were like hundreds because it was kind of a small regional show. But Mm. the show exploded um, nationally and grew a, a good U.S. audience in 2015, which was kind of mind-blowing for us. And we, this we is on of, the podcast side, right? Radio, yes. the podcast side, yeah. Yeah, so the show was called The Unexplainers. And um, like, I, I like to look for cracks. I like to look for audiences that are uh, exist or are being underserved or uh, giving that audience something that they f- is different from everything else on offer. Um, and the show that we, the comedy show we put together was called The, the, the Unexplainers. And it was a, a kind of a, a show that looked at conspiracies and mysteries. And, you know, it was like there's tons of podcasts that talk about conspiracies and mysteries. And, uh, and we were one of the first to make fun of the genre because I felt like, mm all of those shows, everyone takes it so seriously. And they're all like, this is it, you know, the aliens exist. We're just three weeks away from proving it. And this is what my life's work is about. And I love, I love those topics. I don't necessarily believe them. Yeah. But at the same time, I think there's, there was so much humor there to be had with people, you know, building up these ideas that, that the pyramids must have been built by aliens. Those rocks are heavy. Yeah, and then right. that kind of confirmation bias and the, the rabbit holes people go down were just rife for comedy. So we kind of tapped into that audience and we offended a lot of people because they didn't like us making fun of something they were so passionate about. But a lot of people loved it because they were like, they, they recognized it and it was a celebration of it, but right. um, from people who were on the inside of that kind of topic. So um, that was a kind of the first... Uh, hit kind of show that I was part of really where we kind of just put a new looked at a familiar topic in a completely new way really yeah and it's interesting because when I when I like hear a story like that I'm thinking like you're you're finding kind of a, a crack in 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 the market and a crack in in what's on what's on offer what's available to people and like when you're mixing something like comedy and and maybe even um, maybe getting even into parody you know, because yeah. you're talking about conspiracies and mysteries, but you're doing it kind of tongue in cheek, right? You're not taking yourself so seriously. So it's a little bit of a parody of the genre. And what you're actually doing is you're like, you're blending multiple genres into one. Yeah. And, and yeah, like anytime you do that, you're going to, you're going to polarize because you've got people that lo- <laughs> love what they have. And then you've got yeah, people yeah. that are underserved. I think that's one of the things that people struggle with, with a podcast is they go in and they go, well, Hey, so-and-so is doing this thing. I'm just going to go do the same thing, but do it better. And I did just the, the landscape is so crowded right now that, yeah. you know, people like once they've got their favorite podcast, they kind of like, I feel like people think in like mental buckets. So for your example, you know, they've got their serious conspiracy show. They, you know, they might not be open to another show. That's just an, an, a slightly different take on the same thing. When yeah. you come along you do something that blends a completely different genre and mashes them up into something completely new. Well, then that's, that goes into like a different mental bucket. They'll still listen to the original show they liked and they'll listen to yours because you're not asking them to leave the show they already like. You're, you're giving them something like new and fresh. 
Exactly. And, and like sometimes we all like to hear the same story again, but told from a different perspective. It's just mm-hmm. as valid as, as a new topic sometimes. And one of the things we purposefully wanted to do with the show was make it sound unlike any of the other shows. So hmm. <clears throat> we... Um, Whereas, like obviously, this like like we're doing now, this interview format is a very established um, kind of podcast concept. And sometimes people imagine this when when they first come to podcasting, they think that this is what podcasts are. But obviously, there's other formats and genres that you know. There's drama. There's there's all these kind of different feels to to kind of how you can put them together. So essentially, um, with the unexplainers, it was purely a road trip podcast so it was cut like a documentary so we didn't ever do anything in a studio it was always like we would record like they were in a car they were climbing a mountain they were we'd interview people next to a river so you have that kind of texture of those environments so it gave it a different energy as well and also the episodes were only 30 minutes and a lot of those shows were really long um, right. so it was it, it was pitched differently it was packaged differently so it was purposefully trying to stick up like a sore thumb and and not necessarily line up with everything else that everybody else was doing in that sense so <laughs> yeah which which is uh, you know it's it's stepping out on a limb and taking a big chance because the safest thing to do would be to just do another of the shows that are already out yeah. there yeah you go that, um, that's popular let's do something like that maybe it'll be popular for us too i don't I like know. that line of thoughts so no like- i don't i don't either and I, th- I think comedians have a lot better sense of this uh than than corporations do um, I think comedians understand instinctively that to make a splash on stage, you can't just deliver the same thing of what's out there. Now, granted, there's all there's trends, and some comedians will fit into an overall trend of a certain type of comedy. But I think comedians understand a lot more that look, this is this is show business. You got to stand out and do something radically different. And working with corporations, which we both do, work with companies and executives and business owners. Um, I'm sure you see this a lot, a lot more in the corporation side, just that idea that, well, we can just do what somebody else is doing and put our own slight little spin on it and it'll work just as well. If they can do it, we can do it. And I think people take that, that way more for granted. And I wish people had more of the mentality where you were coming from, like from the comedy background. So when you're working with like corporate clients, how do you get them to understand that? That you can't just do a best practices approach and do this and just copycat what somebody else is doing. I guess we try and sell the idea that every new project is an opportunity to to redefine something and, and do it in a completely new way. Um, not everybody wants to do that, and sometimes that isn't the right kind of uh, path for them to go down. But especially with a podcast, you have the ability to kind of, it's such a new field, and for a lot of companies that are just trying this out as a new project, you know, it's not as high budget always as video. It's not as high risk yeah. potentially. So there's, there's not as so much at stake that you can't try something different. So I guess um, the subversive kind of comedy background in me wants them to do something crazy and different, but, uh, <laughs> but it's not always the best thing for the client. What I want to do isn't yeah. always the best thing, but that's just where my mind, my mind goes. So it's kind of, um, I suppose it's trying to introduce them to the, the potential. And there are some really good examples of brands out there that have done this and just, you know, very subtly just focused on telling a good story or just having a conversation nobody else is having or building a community around a specific topic without thinking about how does this fit into my content calendar? How does this fit into my master plan strategy for marketing over the next 12 months? It's kind of looking at it as a, in a completely different way and seeing it as like a long-term strategy, as, as a, a slow burner. And often they don't you know, it's not always easy for people to think in those terms if, you, if you're planning on a quarterly basis and everything. So it is yeah. trying to um, get people to reimagine, mar- you know, podcast as a marketing tool in that sense. 
Yeah, it's, it is, it is hard. The long-term view is really hard. And, um, especially like the larger the company you work for, the, the more likely it is that, that the people that you as the agency owner work with change just yeah. even though over the course of running the podcast for them. I mean, I've, I've, I've noticed it with just, just the experiments that I've done with working with larger companies that are still entrepreneur run, but they have a big enough team to where they cycle through CMOs, you know? Uh, yeah, you'll find yourself six months in working with a new guy who wasn't yeah, yeah, on board yeah. with the podcast concept and it's like all bets are off. So, uh, so it's good to have that relationship with the entrepreneur that does have that long-term outlook. Um, when, you, when you look at kind of what's going on in the podcast landscape right now, I just want to get your thoughts on just some, maybe some trends that you're seeing because we, we talked about, like you went into the market with the explainers and went super short when most yeah. of the competitors were long. Um, I'm seeing that on the business side, like you, like you mentioned, the interview format is pretty well established. So I think now people are attempting to play around with that. People are doing shorter interviews. They're doing more solo shows. They're doing maybe case study episodes. Like, is there anything interesting you see developing as a response or the, the pushback against just more interview shows? Well, I think you look at um, some of the best um, true crime shows, they became like documentaries. There was like, you know, people were, were going and investigating and doing very much uh, a, a different approach where it was kind of a, it wasn't pre-planned to it too much, but it was kind of a, a drip feed of narrative as things go out. So I think people are starting to look at narrative. People are starting to look at like the style of recording. Like I said, you know, interviewing someone in an environment that isn't necessarily a studio space, um, being creative with it. And also audio drama is now rising up as, as a real force in podcasting. So, um, you know, you, you look at shows like Girl in Space, which was uh, kind of an early trailblazer that found an audience really fast and grew really quickly. And those kind of shows are great because it's, it's somebody just saying, well, I've got all these sound effects. If I can write something, if I can perform something, I can really uh, tell a story. So you're finding, um, like you see different kinds of genres of films and TV shows, it's now starting to diversify and that, um, that interview format, I feel is kind of like a gateway for a lot of people into podcasting. And um, I, it's, I think creatively, there's still so much to be done uh, in, within that realm of, of how you tell those stories and put that audio together. But I do think that you, you do find, like, like you said, with the business shows, they tend to be shorter because the audiences are busy people and they only want to listen to 5, 10, 20 minutes of a, they want to get all that information in a really tight, condensed way. So that idea of people just switching a microphone on and rambling for two hours. Mm -hmm. um, it's not as relevant as it used to be. You know, people now have to be a lot more disciplined in, in how they put those shows together. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, discipline is tough, um, especially since from a business purpose, there's so much value in having long, unstructured yeah. conversations with people, like for the business owner themselves, that yeah, I've, I've been thinking a lot about that. And, and I'm, I'm in the middle of an experiment right, right now where I'm splitting off my podcast into two feeds. So I have a place where people can subscribe to the conversations and then they can subscribe to just the solo episodes and, and just testing that out as, as a, a way of separating that, that type of content. Um, cause it used to be just a podcast was essentially like a blog. Like you basically yeah. took every to every form of audio or video content your company produced and you threw it all into that feed. And I think that's where we're starting to see that the more of that there is just the more selection there is, the less distinctive and interesting that is. And people start to demand something where it's got some more discipline to it, right? Like, Hey, I want to listen to a podcast that's a little bit more narrowly 
focused. Yeah. You know, either it tells a narrative over time or it solves the same problem from a dump, bunch of different angles. So yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. The narrative part is interesting because for companies, like you've got, we were talking about your new project before we hopped on and hit record. Like it sounds like you're going to do like a narrative style uh, storytelling yeah. kind of thing where it shows, it shows how a, a company's product fits into the narrative of people's life. So I can see more of that developing. Is there anything else that like businesses can learn from the narrative uh, style of storytelling? I think um, sometimes the, the, I, I guess one of the things I would recommend is that people go and listen to a show called Business Wars, um, okay. which is uh, produced by Wondery. And it is, the, the, it, I, the reason I reference it is that it kind of tells business stories. It talks about things that could be dry and potentially boring, like uh, people having a debate in a boardroom. Um, but they dramatize it in a way with sound effects and voice acting. The, 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 um, you know, the David Brown, the, the journalist and presenter, does a lot of the voices and he's the he's narrator of the story and it's scripted and it's a very kind of classy, high production value show that tells the story of um, business battles like Nike versus uh, Adidas or, um, uh, you know, Chevy versus Ford. But it, it so it, it talks about business, but in this way that's really gripping and really dramatic and emotional. Mm. And it talks about the personal stories of the people involved. And I think that's it, is that podcasting is a real opportunity for people to put emotion and personal depth to things. Yeah. And I think that the more that people can take podcasts down that route in, a, in the business world, the more that um, customers and clients and potential uh, clients will really buy into the ideals that people are trying to share. So um, I, I, I like, I like, I really like content and I love it when my content that I produce, whether it's video or podcasting, gets an emotional reaction from someone. Um, yeah. And I like comedy because I kind of, I found myself um, making it easier to make people laugh than it is to cry. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. something more rewarding about that for me personally. Um, and I, I think that if, if you really think about every piece of content in that context, you know, how can I make someone feel something about this? Then yeah. it, um, that's definitely going to strengthen whatever people are making. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of the people that I work with are, are good at that, it, especially if you get them on a solo podcast where they're talking about something yeah. that they're passionate about because they genuinely, they genuinely care about their clients and their lives and where their business fits into their lives. And they have really strong viewpoints about when that goes wrong, what happens. And, yeah. and so that they can really stir up some, some real, really, really good emotion around their topics. Um, but yeah, I don't think we give that enough enough weight, just how no. important the emotional impact part of it is, especially in the business world. We tend to think of just, you know, like, let's just deliver some content and solve some yeah, problems. Yeah, yeah. And also um, people drop in their guard. If they get used to dropping their guard, that's not weakness. You know, that's often right. being, being able to be vulnerable and then still push through and deliver is like a sign of strength these days. You know, it's not like mm -hmm. you have to be, uh, and I think podcasting is the perfect format to be able to illustrate that kind of strength really. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. That's, that is a tough one. Um, yeah, there's a lot of entrepreneur conversations where they turn into essentially bragging sessions about their growth, which is fine. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, and, and then you've got people there. There's, there's, we're seeing a little bit of a backlash to that, which is I want to have real raw conversations where people, people open up about their failures. Yeah, and I'm like, that's fine, but it's hard to crank out a weekly podcast where you get super deep emotional conversations <laughs> that are really, really raw and emotional. Just yeah. crank them out week after week after week. No. Like, that's one of the things where when it happens authentically, it's really amazing and people yeah. can feel it. But if you try to generate it, like that's a hard thing to base a consistent podcast around. But that's my, that's my feeling on it. No, I agree. I've, I've like, 
from my time in TV, uh, I know there are like documentary directors and, and they purposefully structure their questions with, a, with the person they're interviewing just to see if they can get them to cry or whatever. <laughs> they do. So, and I, I don't feel comfortable with that. You know, it's, it's, it's you're trying to like put someone in a corner so they have to react emotionally while you've got this camera on them. Um, and I think, yeah, you're right. It's got to, it's got to feel authentic. They've got to offer you that. You can't tease that out of them uh, without them kind of willingly wanting to share it with you. <laughs> I know. I would, I would feel like, I would feel like a reality show producer who's like feeding the guests alcohol before he puts them on camera, trying to get them to, to, to be the most emotional and outrageous they can. I wouldn't feel good about that. No. Um, now, you and I are both working with businesses that are, that are producing podcasts to kind of build an audience and expose people to their, if not to their products, but at least to their brand and the message behind yeah. the brand. So here's my question. So when you're dealing with a corporation where their ideal clients are maybe a little bit older than the traditional podcast audience, especially the tech savvy, you know, I know exactly how to subscribe to a podcast right the second in my sleep. Like you're not dealing with that savvy of an audience. Maybe they're in their 40s and 50s and subscribing to a podcast is still new they're much more familiar with a YouTube video and how YouTube works than they are with Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So do you make any concessions for that? Is there anything different we could be doing technologically on the podcasting side to make it easier for those audiences to get into podcasting? Yeah, I think I think there's like, podcasting has always been this like, you know, you think back 10, 15 years, it was this kind of like geeky world where people who were really into podcasting would find them. I mean, when podcasts first came out, I remember the BBC, you had to download the podcast, put it on your iPod, you know, before mm -hmm. streaming and then take, take it with you on the go. So even like now is way more accessible, but we, we always say kind of a pod starter that, that we want the podcast to be where we want to meet people where they are really, or where they want to be. So um, we would do video versions of, of mm. um, each episode on YouTube because that's a very shareable, accessible platform for people to use. And I know some podcasters have seen huge growth on YouTube for their shows because there's a, a huge community of people just listening to music on, on YouTube as well. Mm -hmm. So, and the other thing is, is kind of having that website, you know, having a part of your, whether it's a blog structure or whatever, um, where you can have just the, the um, you know, the embeddable player uh, of your RSS feed. So people who aren't tech savvy in terms of downloading the app and streaming the, the podcast on their phone, they can just, you know, check it out on their laptop or desktop or whatever they're using or their iPads and they can then listen through um, just, but just by browsing your website. I think, I think it is that thing of making sure that it's accessible to everyone. And then if they go down the rabbit hole of, of, you know, becoming a big podcast fan and having the app, that's great. But if they just want to listen to one interview that you've done and, and aren't interested in anything else and don't want to engage with that, at least it's still a very easy thing for them to, to leap into. Yeah. And we do those things for our clients for exactly the same reason. Yeah. The YouTube video versions, the embeddable RSS and the website. And yeah, it's uh, it is an interesting challenge though, um, because the, the folks in their forties and fifties that are not huge podcast consumers yet, uh, like I've tried to get my, like, I know, for example, my dad would be a huge podcast super consumer. It's the technological hurdle that I can't get him over of just understanding, downloading an app, subscribing to a show, they update automatically. So it's, it's an interesting challenge for those of us that are trying to help businesses grow their audience mm -hmm. in that age range. Um, I think there's, there's a lot that could be done on Apple's side to make, to make yeah. that podcasting app easier. And it'll be interesting to see what Spotify does because Spotify is really easy and people are getting comfortable and familiar with it. The problem is Spotify is like five to 10% of the podcast consumption 
market right now. Yeah, so yeah. I, I really don't know if they're going to catch up to Apple Podcasts ever. I mean, category design would say no. You know, Apple Podcasts is is dominant. So yeah, that that is an interesting challenge. Um, so uh, so I'm I'm curious because to see like I'm watching that very carefully to yeah, see yeah, kind yeah. of how that technology develops. But I feel like I don't know if you get this sense, but I feel like because Apple hasn't figured out how to make a buck on podcasting, it's like the redheaded stepchild of iTunes. <laughs> like there's, there's sometimes if you do a search for a podcast, it'll have 17 different things in the right hand column and then podcasts are the last option to pick from like the app store, you know, yeah, yeah. audio books, like basically everything in the world comes first and then podcasts are last. I feel like that's the, uh, I don't know if you get that feeling, but that's the feeling I get from Apple. Yeah, I kind of, uh, and they only just introduced like the podcast app pre-installed on iPhones that, you know, mm. that was, you know, it's front and center now. I think like the the appetite is changing. And I, do you know what? I found that the attitude has changed from the moment where Spotify bought um, Joe Rogan's show. Mm-hmm. I've just speaking to people, people like, I thought there was no money in podcasting. And then, and then I, people have this kind of notion that somehow there's a ton of money to be made in podcasting right now. And yeah. that, you know, I could do a Joe Rogan too. And I'm like, yeah, that's like, not everyone, you know, that, that's like a, a once in a generational kind of opportunity yeah. that doesn't happen. That's not a, the, the logical path of all podcasters. That's just, you know, he, he's kind of an anomaly in, in, in the world mm-hmm. of podcasting in that sense. But I think that people's perceptions are changing. And even when you see those news stories, people are going, what, you know, they, they're intrigued. They're going, wow, if there's money in this, then this must be worth, worth me checking out or exploring. So I think I we, we are seeing, we are seeing a few watershed moments where it's changing, but you still do get, um, naysayers and often you've probably experienced this going to organizations and you're in a meeting and there's like five people and you've got uh, three of them who I've never listened to a podcast what is it you know I think my kids listen to it and then you've got two people who are like and you're just talking about your favorite shows and they're so passionate <laughs> and they're, they're like we need to make this happen we need a podcast and so you do find you get these advocates within companies um, yes that's but I'm, true I'm, see- I'm seeing the balance shift where there's more people pro podcast than there are people who are kind of podcast podcast ignorant slowly I think it's only going to accelerate over time but hopefully yeah yeah I would agree I mean to me it's it's just it's it's like the radio you know it's going to take some time but it's so like once we get some of the technological hurdles figured out and it becomes just as accessible especially in the car as the radio is now I think it'll just be ubiquitous and you'll have your you'll have your super consumers still but then the rest of the world would treat it a lot like the radio which is it's always available and i know where to go and how to turn it on and how to find my favorite stuff um but that i mean that's good at least for us in business that's really really good to see that shift start to happen but yeah there's there's a lot that apple and spotify could do and i'm hesitant to talk about the joe rogan deal because i don't want my clients coming in thinking (laughs) The sponsorship is where the money's at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Like, I mean, we like, might look at this and go, that was the biggest mistake Spotify made. They blew through all their venture capital and then two years later they fail. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I kind of, I, and the other thing as well is the, um, like, even people's perspective of how much, how many downloads do I need to make some serious money? Like I, I, I launched, I found another crack in the marketplace and launched a show like four months ago and it, it, it's done really well in Canada. We got in like the top 10 in comedy in Canada, but even then we still only had like 30,000 downloads, which is a lot, but mm-hmm. yeah. that's, that's still, and once you add the revenue up based on like the, 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 the models that um, like dynamic ad insertion works to, that's still only a few hundred dollars. You know, and that's months of that's months of work. You know, so you know, you you have to be talking much bigger numbers unless you get in upfront. 
endorsement or funding from from a brand or from a, a broadcast like organization or investors you know it, it's still a long haul to build a big big enough audience to start returning some serious money really yeah, I mean, even in, and then we'll wrap up in a second because we're running out of time. But yeah, even in the comedy world, I, I think most people are better off sort of promoting themselves and their own stuff. Definitely. You know, Adam Kroll is a great example. So about every two years, he comes out with a book. Because the podcast nurtures the audience, the book most likely hits the New York Times yeah. bestseller list. Now, this last one, because he didn't go traditional publishing, all bets are off. Who knows? But that also <laughs> means he gets 100% of the profit. So. Now he can take his audience and go, okay, screw you, traditional publisher. I'm going to go straight to my audience. I have millions upon millions of downloads. If I convert a fraction of that audience into book buyers, that's six figures in sales, which is more than most authors ever make from their book deal. Exactly. And, right? I, I, and I feel like that's, that's it, is that, you know, podcasting as a, as a, as a money-making scheme, there are people who will make a lot of money. There are people who make some money. There are people who will never make any money. But in terms of podcasting as a, as a marketing and promotional tool, that's where it's way more powerful and realistic to use. You know, um, like I was saying, I, I love niche audiences. I love building those niche audiences. And it's the perfect way to have a specific conversation with a specific group of people about something they care about deeply and to build that bond um you know the, there's a, a a guy i used to work with in in the uk he's got a, a podcasting company called bengo media and he refers to it as narrow casting as opposed to broadcasting <laughs> right. which is a, a term i, I like that. to steal but it's true you know you're, you you can say like i and i use this example a lot i you know, you search knitting, there's tons of podcasts about knitting. And I don't know how you experience or share knitting tips just in audio, because you kind of need to see the hands and everything. You would think. But there's a whole knitting ecosystem of podcasts, you know. So, yeah. but if, if, if I was a, a wool manufacturer, or I was like selling like the, the Ferrari of knitting needles, yeah. I would be going straight to those audiences to market, you know, or I would start yeah. a podcast aimed at that audience because, yeah. but those opportunities didn't exist before in that way. But now there's so many opportunities for brands to have those conversations um, in a really unique way. Um, if they look at it that way, then um, there's this huge opportunity. It might not be the, the Joe Rogan model, but it, there's something completely different that exists that is uh, just as excited in that sense. I agree. Yeah, I'd love to see that. And, um, and then final question before we uh, give out links and tell people where to, uh, where to find you. For your podcast that you're running for yourself, where do you want to engage with your audience and where do you kind of make yourself available for any kind of two-way interaction or community building with the listeners? Uh, I guess we've, we kind of, so um, the comedy show I'm, I'm doing at the moment, Canadian Politics is Boring, is um, we have a running joke that we, it, it was, uh, when we started it, it was during lockdown. And the idea was we were only going to do 12 episodes as an experiment, but then it kept growing and we just kept doing more episodes. So uh, I didn't really factor in how I would fit another show in my life. So the running <laughs> gag is that we have a half finished website. So <laughs> that we're never, that we're now never going to finish because it's a running gag. Yeah. So so I think the idea is we, we like people to just, we say to people, send us an email or a message. We often do just engage with people on whatever platform they decide to reach out to us on. We try gotcha. and engage them on really, um, which can be, you know, jumping through the apps on your phone on a regular basis can be quite tricky, but <laughs> I'm sure there's a better way to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another interesting thing I've kept my eye on because nobody has really a great answer for that right now. Some people have Facebook groups, you know, communities yeah. around their podcasts. I haven't really seen that 
move the needle a lot. Um, typically those Facebook groups tend to grow kind of independent of their podcast. Yeah. You know, if Facebook recognizes that it's a good group just in its own right, it'll start to push it. And if, if it's not, it's not. Um, and you know, there's different podcasting platforms that have tried to build in some community features. They haven't really mastered that. So yeah, it's basically no. just that you got to pick your social media platform <laughs> and it's, you're just kind of fiddling around the dark trying to figure out where your audience is at. Exactly. And I think it's because like, the podcast audience is fractured. This whole like ecosystems that exist yeah. in complete isolation from each other, and they cho- and even within those ecosystems, then you've got people who choose to use Reddit. You've got people who mm-hmm. choose to use Instagram. It, it is it, it's kind of it's hard. You can fine tune it to your audience. I feel over time, but I guess it, it, it's, as that audience emerges around your show, you can kind of draw them to Facebook, or you can draw them to like a subreddit or whatever. But yeah, it is. Uh, it is so every show is different and every audience is different. I think that's why I love it. It's kind of addictive because it's, there's nothing predictable about it. You find audiences in unlikely places. Like our show is all of our episodes are labeled explicit because, you know, we swear we talk about gory details from Canadian history and, um, and we had a message from someone who's, they listened to it as a family with their eight year old son and they love it. And I was like, <laughs> And I was like, that's not the audience we expected. We didn't expect this to be a family event, but but thanks for the feedback. <laughs> yeah, we've had something similar too, because my, my very first podcast is called Real Estate Uncensored. And yeah, yeah sometimes some, you know, we get, a, you know, some hate mail about it. Like, hey, could you guys lay off on the, on the, you know, I just want to listen to it with my family. And other times we get the, oh my God, I love it. We listen to it all the time. And we listen to it in the car with my kids in the backseat. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. Really? I go, you should not be listening to that with your kids in the backseat. Yeah, my kids don't listen to it. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what's the uh, what's the best way for people to reach out and then tell people if they know of a uh, like a the company corporate like that kind of profile of people that you want to work with on the business side? Like, what does that look like? Okay, cool. So, um, if you would like to uh, uh, look at the uh, Podstarter, the company that we we consult and kind of build uh, branded podcasts through, uh, go to podstarter.io, and we work with kind of um, all different kinds of organizations and businesses. We help create different kinds of formats and shows, uh, anything from interview formats to uh, documentary, or um, in some cases, uh, starting to look at kind of dramatic. Uh, audio recording as well um, and uh, if you want to hear my comedy show Canadian Politics is Boring uh, you can search Canadian Politics is Boring there's no other show called that um, or you can uh, go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com to find the half-finished website where you can find all the links to it so. <laughs> the infamous half-finished infamous. website <laughs> <laughs> I love it that is one of the fun things about about podcasting because it is a serial uh, you know, this episodic type of experience. Um, just all, especially if you have a co-host, uh, you know, yeah. you can have all these inside jokes. Um, on my real estate show, we, we did some role playing to kind of enact it like a sales conversation. And my co-host, you know, decided that I was married. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So we went through about 17 different names of my supposed wife I had. So then he settled on a name for my wife. Then I had a kid. Then I had two kids. Then I had three kids. Then they were fat kids. Then they were insulin sucking. Like, yeah, they, they were like, it just like they fall through the floorboards of my own home. Like it just, it kept going and going until the point where I was at a conference a couple of years ago and somebody came up to me and said, Hey man, where's Julie and the kids? <laughs> so people will introduce themselves by referencing inside jokes, which is really a lot of fun. If you're, if you're a podcast host and it's like, okay, now you're, you're, you're one of the cool kids club. You actually listen long enough to get the jokes. 
and that, that's like part of the, uh, the, the the podcast t-shirt industry as well is that like you know people like you have these obscure jokes from uh, like episode 13 season three with mm-hmm. like a t- on a t-shirt and like someone will buy it and then if you if you i've i've done that i've bought like t-shirts from obscure podcasts i'm into and when someone recognizes it it's like almost like a euphoric moment where you're like yeah. yes another one it's kind of yeah. like being in a cult it's great <laughs> <laughs> That is true. Well, hopefully people reach out and connect. Uh, I'd love for people to go subscribe to the show, especially if they're in Canada, which we have some listeners, uh, I'm sure, that are in Canada. Please go listen to Canadian Politics is Boring because I'm sure it'll be very amusing and you'll probably get all the jokes, which I would get none of them. But uh, anyway, Reese, this has been a blast. Exactly what I had in mind. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to the Micro Famous Podcast. If you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, connect with us at getmicrofamous.com. It's the best way to take the next step to implementing the Micro Famous strategy in your business so you can attract an audience, build influence, and become the Micro Famous leader you're meant to be. And we'll see you on the next episode.